Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us for a slightly delayed edition of the Feel and Film podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, ready to continue our furious summer, is my best friend and co-host, Aaron. Hello, hello, hello. With Father's Day being this past weekend, we decided to take the last few days and enjoy some time with our own familia, which gave us more fuel to talk about the series that pretty much defines family, at least if you ask us. <laughs> Hopefully more people. Interestingly enough, that is, of course, our one-word takeaway for this entry as well. Shocker. Aaron, why don't you enlighten us on how family is personified in this entry? Well, I gotta say, it's a little difficult as we go through these to <laughs> say, mu say much about family without getting into specifics of the, of the show. But for me, what Fast and Furious is, is the beginning of what will be eventually known as the Fast Saga. This is where Justin Lin, the director, enters the picture in force and begins to change the scope of the series as a whole. The characters become closer together in ways that we haven't seen before. It's all about building and creating that bond between them. And I'm sure we're going to get into these specifics later, but Brian is going to make decisions that will completely change his life and everyone else's lives and the way that they will move forward in relation to each other. And so while the family in this one, Patrick, is not quite as big in a sense, like I know we're going to talk about this in one of your questions for the notes, but there's not a lot of external family that gets screen time in this picture as much. But what happens is, we do get snippets of them and the characters that are at the centerpiece of this become much stronger together, I think, because of that. I'll, I'll go into it more later, but, but for me, this is where I think the series starts to pivot. Many people will consider it to be Fast Five. We'll talk about that next week and how, you know, the totality of that movie is so special as an action film, but before The Rock enters the picture and really changes the tone of what this series is, this one, I think, is a fantastic bridge. If anything, it's such a great sequel from a family aspect to the original film. And it works almost like Fast and the Furious 2 in so many ways. And, and I think that the theme of family rolls on perfectly from that film into this one without skipping a beat. Absolutely. I think when you look at this movie in and of itself, it almost becomes a prelude to this big shift in a in a great way when it comes to the aspect of family not just being who you're related to. And I think it reinforces this new family, this kind of reimagined family that we get a hint of both at the start and the finish of the movie, but we start to see the threads and the anchors of this family find their own restoration. And I think that's what fast forward does as a whole is it gives us some restoration of three individuals that allow for the rest of this new family to 
come in behind and then become what you said, just a fantastic new family in the subsequent movie. So it's a, I, I personally love this movie. I think it's a fantastic entry point into Justin Lin's kind of expose of the Furious universe. And you're right. It does work really well, almost as a Fast and the Furious sequel. It's interesting because, yes, we have skipped the third one. We're going to, you know, as we talked before, we're going to push that one to the end because of the timeline. But it's fun to watch these movies in the order that we're watching them because it feels more seamless. It feels like, okay, we've took we've taken a break. Oh, here's Dom. He's back. And it doesn't feel like we've lost much in that regard. But at the same time, we're getting new backstory. We're getting a little bit more depth in some of these other things that we really were hinted at in the first entry. And I think that Fast Four serves as a really great prelude for what what's to come. Uh, based on what we know the franchise does become. So from here on out, this is your spoiler alert. We're going to get crazy into all the details and pick up the movie, watch it, enjoy it, come back, join the conversation. And uh, with that, here we go. One of the best things about this entry, Aaron, is the opening. I was having a conversation with one of my coworkers. He's another manager, and he's a huge car guy. And he refuses to watch any movies past the second one because he doesn't necessarily respect the world that these guys live in. And we agree to disagree on that, but he mentioned this particular car, this black car that Dom was driving in one of the movies. He said that it only appears in one of the movies. And I was like, Oh, that must be the beginning of fast four because this is before I actually got a chance to watch it for the podcast. And sure enough, I queue it up and there's this black I, forget, I think it's a I forget if it's a Continental or I forget what the name of the car is, but it has like this weird history where only like a certain number of them were made. They were only in black. You couldn't get them in any other colors. But it reminded me of that opening sequence and I'd forgotten how great it was and how it mimicked the first one, but on another level. So you've got what I consider pretty great practical effects you get an introduction of this new crew that Dom is running with, and you see the beginning stages of what we see as kind of a more in-depth relationship between him and Letty that was, again, hinted at in The Fast and the Furious, but we're now kind of seeing a more mature relationship with them. Still a lot of fun. They're, they've got the, the ride-or-die mentality, but it's probably one of my favorite opening sequences of the entire franchise because of all those things. So for you, did it feel like a recycled replacement or something refreshing both in the sequence and the crew themselves? It's amazing. And I'll say as well, just to echo what you did. I mean, I love this movie. I'm going to rave about this movie. And I understand that it is ranked as one of the worst films by the consensus viewers across the internet or whatever. But I think that they're all crazy. I think it's actually consensus in my head is one of the best films and by far. And I, and I love it. And I, I got so hyped when this opening came on and I just screamed there back because that's what it feels like. And granted, if you were just watching this and you, you know, didn't go straight through and didn't watch two and or three in between these and a lot of people skip two then it wouldn't necessarily feel quite like a there back moment. But when you're watching them in actual release order, 
or, you know, with or without skipping three, you've gone a movie without Dom. Okay. And so for this movie to then not even have Brian in the opening, but to immediately center back on, we don't know what happened to Dom. We know what happened to Brian. We don't know what happened to Dom. And boom, we are right back with them. We are right back, like you said, a callback to the first film where we are starting with a heist. We're exploring and seeing them in action. And it's awesome. They're, you know, still messing with truckers, but it's a different kind of trucker this time, right? They're trying to steal this tank full of fuel. And what I like about it is, I mean, I like everything, but the crew aspect, you mentioned, you know, you got these new guys, you got Tigo and Don, who are going to eventually show up again in the series multiple times in little bit pieces and, and, and places. And they're different for me than anybody we've seen with Dom previously. So they're not Jesse. They're not Vince. Their dynamic is a comedic duo, right? They're much closer to what would be um, a Ludacris and Tyrese partnership. But they're so much fun. Um, I love the moment where he flips around and he's talking crap to him. Like, you know, like how many tries is it going to take you to get it this time? Right. And of course, the action is amazing. The whole thing with Letty, you know, jumping off and having to save her is amazing. And of course, just the way that it all culminates with Dom and this stare, stare down of this barreling fuel truck that's coming down the mountain. I mean, the cinematography is awesome leading up to that. Just the way that we get aerial shots of the mountain. And the scope of the the steepness of what they're dealing with. But yeah, man, when we get there are several moments in this movie in particular where we get a close up of Dom's face right before something is about to happen action wise. And what always stands out to me is how calm he is, but not only just how calm he is. There's a, a there's a grin. I don't even know what to call it, but there's a grin. It's not a grin like you or I would be like beaming with joy, but there is a hint of happiness. A smirk. A smirk. Like, like I got this, right? And even Letty is like, what are you doing? Like, this is not. And he's like, he's like, I'm fine. It's cool. We, we got it. And then he guns it and he times it perfectly and it's insane and stupid and whatever, but it's awesome. It's awesome. And, and I believe he can do this, Patrick, because of what I've seen of Dominic Toretto in two movies. I believe that he can do this stuff. And I love that. And so I didn't feel cheated at all. Um, from this opening, I, I think it sets the tone very well for this movie. Um, uh, you know, it was great. And I, and there's also like a moment with Han towards the end. I don't know if it's in, it's kind of at the end of this, right? Like, after they're done, and I think they're back at the the spot. And what's cool is that this opening also, I consider it part of the opening, but it, it rolls into showing you that they were stealing this fuel for people to, like, fill up their cars, right? And so it still puts us in a place where it's like that borderline Dominique Toretto is Robin Hood. Stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, not trying to kill the innocent truckers, right? So it's gray. It's not, he's not like an outright villain. And I think that that's important for this series because otherwise we would be needing to root against him at times. We need to understand he's a criminal, but when his criminality is something we can cheer for, it's a lot easier. But oh, what I was saying is like the, the fact that Han is here and we get our first look at Han 
in this movie, at least for us, because we skip three. <laughs> but it makes sense, right? Because we watched Han in, in theory, we would have seen Han in Tokyo Drift already. And he says, Han, we had a good run. Time for you to go do your own thing. And Han says, heard they're doing some crazy shit in Tokyo, right? And it, and, and it's like, I'm giddy, man. As a person who loves shared universes and shared universes that experience like small moments of world building and connected pieces like in dialogue and things you might see in backgrounds versus a really forced type of situation. This is the kind of stuff I like. Yeah, I think Justin Lin is very self-aware of the fact that he's trying to tie these movies together because I believe he directed the third one as well. Third, three, four, five, and six. He did. He did. And so I think he is intentionally trying to kind of nod at the previous entry. But at the same time, maybe he had a bigger plan of like, you know what? We got we got Dom back. We got Vin Diesel back. So now we can eventually take that back when Han exits the stage. He'll go to Tokyo and he'll have his own kind of limelight moment. What I think I loved about this opening sequence you mentioned the cinematography. This is actually something that I know we don't talk a lot about the technicals, but I think overall the cinematography, the costume design was fantastic. I mean, I really felt like I was in this southern area, like this this tropical kind of thing where I guess it's South America. Is that where we're at? Brazil? I don't know. We're all over the map. But the the way in which you see these guys partying and everybody's in white. So it's like they, they feel just kind of pristine a little bit, maybe pure. Even the scene where Dom leaves Letty, like it's all white and he's white and he's leaving the money. And it's just all, it was just really beautiful. And then you cut to introducing Brian O'Connor in the dirty city, chasing down this dude while he's in a suit and it feels kind of like an, you know, an updated action movie. So it's a great contrast between these two. One other thing I wanted to mention is that we get this great intro of this new crew and we don't see them again until the very end. And I was a little disappointed because I hadn't seen this movie, I think since we watched it last year when I was in Seattle and I couldn't remember, do they make another appearance before the end of the movie and they don't. And I was a little disappointed in that because I loved seeing how they were introduced and I felt a little wasted that we don't see them again. But as I mentioned during our one word takeaway, I felt like Lynn is trying to get the glue together before he can put the rest of the adhesives around it to, to really solidify this new crew. Yeah. I, I was sort of hinting it, I guess the same thing when I was saying, you know, fast five is going to come along and really go ensemble. And so for me, I actually didn't feel cheated at all, to be honest with you. In my opinion, part of what makes this movie so special is that because less crew means more Dom and Brian. And that is the focus of this film. We'll talk about their relationship, I'm sure, in detail. But they are A1, A2, right? Like they're it. It's about their relationship. And when you remove some of that fun side piece action, <laughs> it allows their relationship to go through the appropriate healing struggles and ultimately growth 
than I think it needs to in order to what really it sets up the remainder of the run of the films for them to be together. So I didn't feel cheated. I enjoyed them and I enjoyed every moment that I got of extra crew in this movie. I mean, I could always use more Jordana Brewster. That's just a fact, but I thought it works out perfectly, honestly. Uh, and I, and I, that's one thing I love about this franchise. And we'll say this, I think as we go through and maybe we already have for you and I who adore it, we adore it because we adore the different parts of it. And, it's very similar, I think, to maybe a Marvel fan who loves the MCU. I can't say I love the MCU the way I love the Fast and the Furious franchise. And the reason is because I do love the Fast and the Furious franchise, and I love all of its parts, even when they're different. And they're completely not the same genre. But I can't say that about the MCU because there are certain styles of movies made within the MCU that I definitely don't really like as much. And so I feel like when you really, really love a, a totality of something, those people don't care if it's Taika Waititi who's directing the movie and making it into a complete comedy, or if it's Kenneth Branagh trying to make it into a tragedy, like they're going to love them all equally because they just like being in that world. That's where I'm at with FNF, like for the most part. Hobbs and Shaw doesn't count because it doesn't have Dom. So that's a spinoff, <laughs> spinoff once again. Colby. It presents. It presents. Yeah. That's right. Captain Grease presents Hobbs and Shaw. So not counting that one, but the rest of them, yeah, mainline, I just love them all. I do anyway. too. Anyway. I, I do too. <laughs> one of the things that this movie does is it really reinforces Dom's relationship with Letty. Of course, the first movie doesn't do a lot with that. We, of course, love their relationship, and it's very playful in the first entry, but I think the soundtrack really reinforces this. I think I mentioned to you that the score is really great because it, it's just, it's a great score. It goes really well with this movie. It also reminded me of the last of us because of course, you know, we've recently just completed it. So, you know, the nice little classical guitar playing, but Dom and Letty's relationship takes kind of a, an abrupt in a good way turn for the serious. We get this sense of, history that they have had between the end of the first entry and this one. And I know that there's a short film that takes place prior to this. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe I should. That kind of connects, you know, kind of like what that short film did with Brian and saying, where was he between one and two? This does one of those things where, wow. You know, How do I not know this? Yeah, I think Matt Fletcher mentioned it. At some oh, point. I think he did. And I meant to go watch it and I never got back to it. Oh, so we'll, have, we'll have to watch that this week. Let's pause and watch it right now. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Okay, we're back. <laughs> that was so good. That was so great. No. But what we get is this intimate moment with Dom and Letty where he's being told, hey, the cops are on to you. You're, you're going to be arrested soon. The heat's on. And he's trying to protect Letty. He's like, look, I need to go my own way. And she's like, Dom, what about ride or die? And we're starting to get these moments where we see how deeply they care for each other, that this is not just a a chop shop relationship. This isn't just a, hey, she's the girl that I noticed after she started noticing me when I was a kid. And I think Justin Lin was really smart to 
focus on this relationship because of the fact that a lot of this movie is of course driven by what happens to Letty and Dom's motivation to kind of find resolution with that. What did you think of her arc in this? Was it surprising to you or did you see it as something and how it progressed in his relationship with her? What that, what that did for you? How did you respond to that, to that story arc? I don't know that I could even call it much of an arc, to be honest okay. with you. I mean, it is very short, what we get with Letty in this movie. Now, Letty's on his mind, mind you. <laughs> that was funny. And, uh, and we do find out more information later on once we learn from Brian that, you know, Letty was part of his crew, essentially, and he had put her undercover, and we learn about why she was doing all of this, which gives us context that we didn't have, which is all emotional and makes me sad. But the thing is, their relationship is exactly as it was when we left them, it feels like, and it starts to really give an understanding it allows Dominique to show his sacrificial tendency, which is going to pop up more than once in the film, but specifically around Le or the series, but specifically around Letty, because he doesn't want her to get hurt. He understands that he is a target. He understands they're coming for him and that he's never going to be able to get away from this right now. And he leaves her in the middle of the night, right? He leaves money and a silver cross and it's not the only time this happens for him leaving a woman in the middle of the night but he does it because he wants to protect them and i think that it really just is a great way to showcase how much a person means to someone else because we always see how much a person means to someone else in context of them being together <laughs> But the way that Lynn crafts this, and I have to believe, Patrick, that this was intentional, that we, we knew she, he knew she was going to come back. I, I really feel like that can't just have been a coincidence where it was like, oh yeah, maybe we should bring Michelle Rodriguez back. I feel like it, it's planned. At least in my mind, it is. Oh, he being Justin Lynn, not Justin Lynn, yeah. Not, and I think not Toretto. <laughs> no, not Toretto. But I think that it works in the way that it should, which is it connects us with Dom and Letty's relationship. Because when we see someone go through that grieving process, we're able to relate with that in a unique way in a different way than we're able to just relate with Dom and Letty when they're happy together um, and a normal relationship. And it's also interesting because the way that it plays out, it's so sudden that stood out to me big time. Like Dom gets this call from Mia and it's like, it's Letty. She's been murdered and she's gone, Patrick. Like she's a main character in two movies and she's gone. And, and you realize crap, <laughs> you know, all bets are off, I guess. I mean, that always is exciting to me in a sense in a film when I no longer have the safety net to believe that all my characters are truly superheroes and are going to come back. Now, it's funny to be saying that about Fast and Furious because clearly Letty does come back and then it becomes a big joke that everybody comes back. But at this moment in time, that's that feeling that we get. And, you know, it was almost my connecting point, that opening moment where Dom is having to watch her funeral from 
atop a hill because the FBI is scoping him out. Brian's there. Mia's at the graveside all alone, you know, putting down flowers or whatever at the funeral. And it's just so sad, man, because you're like, gosh, these two have as deep as a love as you'll ever really see depicted on film. And yet this guy can't be there to mourn the loss of his love. And that rolls in. And I'm, I'm kind of putting this all together, but that rolls into another really, I think, great defining scene that shows us what their relationship is, is when Dom comes back to the house and Mia tells him about how Letty had been fixing up the charger. Because Patrick, when we left, the charger was completely wrecked and destroyed. And you have to think about the series in the context of what all these things mean. That charger goes back to like the importance of it being Dom's dad, his car, etc., and him not having driven it until the end of that movie. And Mia says it was weird. It was like she knew you were coming back. Right. Which is both sweet and also somewhat of a nod to the fact that she was out there working with the FBI trying to get his name cleared so he could come back. And yet here she is working feverishly to get his car ready because she loves him because she knows that that's what matters to him. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And I think it sets up appropriately the kind of rage and the kind of revenge that we see him embark on in this movie, which it makes it exciting and fun to see play out. Absolutely. And being able to focus on him and her, even though her arc was short, it gives the movie motivation to get us from point A to point B to point C. It's a revenge story, but it's also a redemption story for him and Brian, for Brian and Mia, and eventually for, you know, for him and Letty. Because the thing is, is that by the end of the movie, Letty's still dead. <laughs> you know, she is not, she's not come back. So we don't really see any kind of resolution of that. What we really see is this reuniting of people who care about each other and are really carrying on the legacy of what Letty embodied, which was, I'm going to stay committed. I'm going to continue to work knowing that, believing that you're going to come back, believing that we're going to be a family again. And I got to tell you, Aaron, I love the fact that the house is a supporting actor in this moving forward that seeing how it becomes the gang hideout. And now in this next entry, we see it in a way where it is um, not like pristine necessarily, but it's been given the woman's touch. You know, it's, it's definitely Mia's house and she's been living there and just coming back to that. It is a safe house in and of itself. It's a place where, a lot of things end up happening and reprieves take place and resets take place. And I'm glad to see it again. Personally, I'm glad that we got to see the house again. I'm glad that we got to see Mia's car. Her white car is still there. She's still driving that. That's pretty fantastic. Well, we've gotten some old things. Now we've got new things happening in this entry, beginning with some new characters, the lovely Gal Gadot making her debut in the FF universe as Giselle. And, she attempts to seduce Don. Like she is just fantastic in this, Aaron. I love, love, love seeing how she tries to flirt with him. She gets his phone number. And there is this great moment where he's checking out this car 
because he's figured out that it's this green Torino, I think it is. I don't know what the car is. I'm terrible at names, but she walks in and there's this banter, this like sexy, sleek banter between him and her about cars and women. And he describes Letty essentially as like, this is the woman that I could see myself with. This is the woman that would be enough for me. And she says point blank to him. She says, that doesn't sound like me. And he goes, it's not. And at that moment you're like, Oh, okay. So we're not going to have this whole love interest thing happening, <laughs> which I think is pretty great. I, I like the fact that we're kind of turning a little bit because I, I mean, I know this is a revenge story, but you would think that there might be some kind of chemistry there, but I love the fact that Dom shows this commitment even after Letty's death that, no, she left an impact and nobody, nobody's going to be able to change that. And I think what it does for Giselle is it allows her to see this respect. And I think it validates and it affirms kind of what she does later by meeting him and says, hey, you know that going in there is suicide, but she's willing to meet up with him anyway. And I think that really kind of makes her character stand out to me, not only because she's beautiful and she's fun to, to watch kind of play out on screen, but the fact that she doesn't feel flat. She doesn't feel like a piece of eye candy. She is actually somewhat important. She sees the value that Dom has and why he's doing what he's doing. And she goes far enough to say, you know what? If he thinks it's worth it, it's worth it. And I'm going to help him out. Now, I really love her entry into this. I agree a million percent with this. She's amazing. Not because just because she's gorgeous, which she is, but because of the way the character is written. And you're right. The, there's great moments throughout the initial meeting between the two of them where she's like, I want, you know, this and this. This is for Braga. You know, your phone number's for me. And just like, dang, that's some like, I mean, it's some good flirting is frankly what it is. And then when she walks in and she's talking about the car and I actually write down, I wrote it down because it is, it is a very iconic thing. He's looking at Phoenix's car, you know, the one that wrecked Letty. So obviously he's in a headspace of like thinking about the death of his love of his life. And Giselle comes in and she starts flirting with him and she's making all these car puns <laughs> and it's all sexy and, you know, like you said, when she asks him what it is and he says, oh, man, I just the way he talks <laughs> to her is so smooth. And he's like, it starts with the eyes. She's got to have those kind of eyes that can look right through the bullshit to the good in someone. 20 percent angel, 80 percent devil down to earth, ain't afraid to get a little engine grease underneath her fingernails. And Giselle's just like, that doesn't sound anything like me. And he goes, it ain't. And he's just and he's like, I mean, it's so like. It's not angry. It's not rude. It's not mean. It's just fact. You know what I mean? He could have been a complete mean person to her, but he doesn't. And what I find interesting is not only how it shows us Dom's loyalty, as you mentioned, to Letty, which is so rare in freaking Hollywood movies ever, for someone to be that committed. I mean... When they're even together, much less when someone is now gone, right? Because who in their right mind wouldn't be attracted to Giselle if she was hitting on you? 
But it also, I think, allows, like you said, Giselle to grow. Because when we meet her, from our understanding, I mean, she's not a double agent like like uh, Elena is in Fast and Furious 2. She is actually working with Bra- – like she's part of Braga, Braga's crew, right? Like she's a bad guy is what it boils down to. And so I think Dom starts to show her maybe there's more and maybe there's a better – way to live maybe there's something that doesn't involve being a part of this kind of activity and then frankly i like to believe that this conversation with her and the way that he shuts her down by describing his true love maybe sort of in a way helps her realize that you know what i don't need just the biggest strongest best racer guy maybe it's a Han. Maybe it's a Han that's my love of my life. You know what I mean? Maybe it's not the mob boss or the Dominique Toretto, who's the alpha in the room. Maybe it's this other guy who's the, you know, the jokester, the cute guy sitting in the corner. Like, I believe I'm eating stuff, constantly eating chips. Yes. But I just I, I really feel like maybe this is a shift in her understanding of like, you know what? I want that. I don't necessarily need the sexiness aspect of it anymore because I want someone who's going to talk about me that way. And so then I feel like that's going to lead to her being with Han, which of course is one of the great romances and tragedies. Yes. And maybe future redemptions. I don't know. Well, no, because there's no justice for Giselle. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) I mean, that was a big plane. That was a big plane. (laughs) But she's Wonder Woman. Come on. Anyway, I digress now. This entry gives us a brand new villain, of course, and that would be Braga, who is hidden behind Braga or whatever his name was, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I Campos. Like Campos. Campos is yeah. the cover name. Yeah. And I actually enjoyed this. I know it's a trope that's been used before, you know, with the guy behind the guy and the decoy and things like that. But I think it worked really well here because of the fact that we knowing after the fact that Braga and Campos are the same person. It's fun to hear him talk about Braga in the third person because it really shows off his arrogance. And I think that this was a huge step up from our previous villain, you know, in the form of Carter Verone, who feels a little bit kind of cartoonish. Now we have a guy who I think I'm not necessarily afraid of, but I feel like he definitely controls the situation. He definitely feels like he's the empowered one. There's the line that is really just kind of a throwaway line. He gets a, a whisper from his right-hand man, and he, he's talking to Dom and Brian after he said, do you guys know each other? He gets up and he says, club's yours, do whatever you want. You know, you got girls, you got drink. I mean, and it's just like money's no object to him. It doesn't matter if – Things are going to happen. They're going to happen. I mean, it's just it's his club. He owns it. It's all good. But he just has this charisma, Aaron, that I think makes him a really, really great villain. And one of the great moments is when he's talking to, I believe it's Dom, and Dom is negotiating with him for that loot that he has. It's worth like six million dollars, and he says, "No, it's worth like two hundred million." And he's asking for six, and he's like you know, whatever, I'm not going to give that to you. And he's like, okay, well, then I'll guess we'll just kind of keep it or just give it to the people that really deserve it, you know? And so the 
the chess game that Dom plays with him and seeing how he comes across in a way where you can see he's kind of afraid, but at the same time, he doesn't want to give up that kind of that kind of power, that kind of arrogance. I I liked this character. I like this villain in this entry a lot. So I love Braga, frankly. I, I think he is at least the second best villain in the series, maybe behind Hernan Reyes in Fast Five. And potentially he might be my favorite villain. I really do. I think the combination of Braga and Phoenix is perfect. I love the actor behind him. It's John Ortiz, I believe. And it is just played to perfection, in my opinion. Both of both he and the actor that plays Phoenix. Phoenix is appropriately menacing and unwaveringly like unable to be affected by someone he can't be scared essentially like when dom can't scare you you have to be a certain level of actor in order to pull that off and phoenix i think does that not only just he's physically imposing like dom is but the way his hair is done in this film the way he just scowls with his like gold teeth or whatever like he he just looks and talks like he's not gonna back down and i love that i think that is the perfect kind of counter to dom like we need that alpha counter in there somewhere and then braga man yeah i don't care if the trope has been done the guy behind the guy i think it is executed absolutely wonderfully here because if you're watching this movie for the first time, you don't know. And I paid very close attention in this viewing to see, like, how well does a movie work when you do know the twist, right? It's like, if you know what Usual Suspects is all about and watching it again, can you watch it again and glean new information and enjoy it in a different way, knowing what you know at the end of that movie? And for me, that's what this is. And you pointed out one of the main pieces is the way he talks about himself in the third person. It's a totally different film when you're watching it and you know he's Braga. And when you first see him at the club, right? And when they, I don't know if it was Brian or Dom, I think it was Dom, and he follows him back. No, it's Brian. Dom stays and drinks. But he follows him back to the, the corridor and you see him peek through the door and you see Braga and the old man drinking together. And it's beautifully framed, man. This is what makes Justin Lin so good. Because from our perspective as Brian, we see what clearly must be an old man mob boss, like, in charge of everything. And Braga is his alpha, his 1A, right? His right-hand man. When in reality, that's not what's happening at all, but that's what it looks like. And so it sells us on that belief perfectly. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. And the way that it, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to skip ahead briefly, but the way that it gets revealed is perfect. And it's perfect not only because it's funny because it's via facts. And I know you cracked up because you were like, dude, what is happening? Why are we waiting on a fax from the FBI <laughs> from Interval to, <laughs> to clarify who this guy, who this guy is? But like everybody's like trying to figure out who he is and they get the fingerprint match and they're waiting on visual confirmation and waiting on visual confirmation. And they're like, they realize it in the moment, on the ground level, when the old man comes up and Dom's like, you thinking what I'm thinking? That ain't him, you know, and and it's just, it's awesome. 
and I, and I love the chess match. I love the smarts of Braga as a villain that it's not just about, he's got that equal mix to me of power, of self-confidence. He's got the right amount of overconfidence that will eventually kind of undo him, which I, which I love because you need that in a villain. Uh, but he, he's got this empire and he's very smart. The way in which he runs that race in order to decide who's going to win. I love the design of that. Following the GPS, you know, putting them in a truck, you know, driving them across the border and then having them do the tunnel run. Like it's all brilliant stuff. And to me, that sells me on how can this guy be a leader of a cartel? I need to see those choices in action, and I see that through him in the movie. And so I love him. I was so, so pleased that they did not kill him off so that he could make a fun appearance later on in the series. And I just think he's great, man. I think everything about his character is awesome. you know. And he talks when he's talking to them in that scene you were mentioning in the club again, he's explaining like how he came up through the streets. And you can really hear it in his voice. Like, he's like, I, I fought for this. Like, I worked for this. I wasn't handed this on a silver platter. You know, he's like, now Braga is the boss of bosses and everyone would die for him. Um, and it's just, and, 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 oh, so and when you know who he is and he's like, especially me, he's like, would you die for him? And he's like, oh, especially me. And you're, you're like, okay, this guy's really loyal. But then when you're watching it back and you know a twist, you're like, oh, well, well, obviously. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> if you died for him, well, uh, he'd be dead too. So yeah. I guess that's how that works. But yeah, what, man, I, I'm a huge Braga fan. What makes him really appealing to me, Aaron, is the fact that he respects the position that he's in because he wasn't handed it, because he had to work to get that position. Everything that he does feels strategic. It feels as though he's not just looking for the next chess move, but the 10 chess moves ahead that's going to eventually get him to chess mate. And I think that's the sign of a really smart leader is someone who sees the big picture as well as the small steps that it takes to get there, which is why I think that race sequence is so much fun to watch because it feels planned out. And it's a bit ironic because it's done without people, quote, closing off the streets. I love that line by that little lackey. He's like, who's going to close the streets? And everybody's like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That is such a great moment. <laughs> and then we get that race. And that kind of leads into what I want to talk about, which is the the reunion aspect of this movie, which I th really think is a glue. Beginning with Brian and Dom, we get the intro of Brian. He's chasing the guy. He captures him, and I think it's fantastic. I, this is this is one thing I love about Justin Lin is this kind of master of sleight of hand where the camera points to a window that you think Brian's going to jump out of to tackle this guy. He ends up ta uh, taking him down at the, the window, like right next to him. Um, I can't believe that that guy would survive a fall like that, but whatever. Then we get where he is. He's back to being a... Hey, an FBI guy, and I think you mentioned this offline that it seems like every other entry he's either a, you know, a cop or a or a bad guy. Uh, but in this case, you know, he's he's working with the FBI. He eventually makes his way to this race so that he can be a part of of Braga's crew. And this race that we were mentioning is that kind of qualifier. And this is the moment that I feel like is going to become 
a a chorus of Brian and Dom, this kind of ongoing racing feud that I just got giddy watching because the whole sequence is just fantastic to watch. And then my my smile got really big when I hear the GPS say, you are one quarter of a mile from your destination. And of course, it's a straight stretch. So now we have this inevitable rematch between Brian and Dom. And it's almost like what we think is a polar opposite of what happens where Dom hits his nitro, his NOS, and then Brian says, too soon. And then Dom clips him to win the race. And I was almost waiting for for Brian to go, dude, I almost had you again. You know, that kind of thing, but he didn't. And I think that that moment gave us this fantastic marker of like, okay, this is where they're going to be living. They're going to be living in the in two vehicles, always challenging each other, always racing each other. And when we see the end of that race, we see kind of a, not a hatred, but we see that kind of conflict with them that gets kind of bookended at the end. I think that Fast 4 absolutely does a fantastic job at reintroducing us to the two characters, that race being one of those events. But I think it levels the playing field for both of them i think dom realizes that brian has grown up in the way of racing he's not just a buster and brian of course is looking at dom in a way that he's not trying to hunt him down he really does see him as an ally which i think pays off near the end of the movie when we get the verdict that dom is going back to jail and seeing brian just storm off because he's so frustrated but I think Fast Force serves as a fantastic reunion of their friendship, seeing it get mended over the course of the movie, and then finally seeing some resolution by the end of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I could say much better about that. It, yeah, it's the race is amazing, frankly, and it's awesome because of the fact that the way everything plays out, again, it's just expert craftsmanship from Lynn, in my opinion, because... We see them, like you said, chasing David Park and reuniting at this window with Dom holding him out of a, a window, you know, upside down. And and then the banter is immediate, like right from the start. And, the, you know, the guy's like, yo, can you guys talk about this later? <laughs> you know? And, of course, Dom drops him. Like, he drops him. And he knows that Brian is going to go out there and try to save the guy. Like, he uses that against him. And... Everything about the way that they look at each other is amazing because they're both sort of dealing with this quiet thing that happened between them that they don't necessarily know how to reconcile. And yet they're on opposite sides of this thing again, but they sort of aren't. <laughs> they're sort of at the same, they're going to the same goal. And I think that they both understand that. And it, and it does. It results in awesome awesome banter all the way through um the end of the race is when dom says still a buster after he spins him out and it's just it's fantastic because you're just like oh my god he's he's so mad and and brian like when he when he pulls up at the end of that race and he's like complaining about it and braga's like dude what no you lost or i think it might be phoenix and he's like what you lost like there's no like cheating or whatever you know like go cry cry to mommy it's also fun by the way just a tangent off of that the race but a great piece of brian character development that really again shows like 
who he is. That doofus Dwight with the mullet, who's been talking smack, he has all the girls around him, and he says as Brian is leaving, he, like, makes fun of him, and then the next scene we get is Brian raiding his house with the FBI and setting him up just to, like, get himself into the race, but also sort of as, like, a way to get back at that guy for talking crap. It's just, it's brilliant, right? And so then when they, he and Dom show up again, like, at the same place, it's just fantastic to watch them operate in different spheres and through different methods, but getting to the same goal over and over and over. And like you said, there's the relationship between them, I mean, it goes up and down, and I think it, it will carry through to both of our connecting points, which have strong Brian and Dom vibes throughout them because of the way that it's never easy for these two like there's secrets between them and so those things have to come out before the healing can begin that's why i called this like a healing movie because they go through this process and it's painful and they're fighting it they're fighting that like innate desire that innate drive for their friendship that they they it's like fate. It's like they're fighting fate that they are meant to be locked forever in this friendship. And yet by the end of this movie, I think they finally get there, you know? And, and so they go through all this stuff to do that, but it is, it is really well scripted um, to m watch them go through that path. And like I said in the beginning, I just love that we get so much Dom and Brian and it's not distracted by a whole bunch of other people in the way. I think what Justin Lin does really well in this entry is he gives us time for quiet moments with these relationships, Dom and Brian being one of those, and Brian and Mia being the other one. There's a great scene with them at the diner where Brian is essentially saying, I screwed up, and Mia's like, yeah, you did. And I really like the fact that in that moment, she doesn't forgive him. She lets him confess, but it doesn't change anything, Aaron. I mean, she feels really hurt, and he's like, I am a complete screw-up. And she goes, well, that doesn't change anything, essentially. And when we look at that conversation, one of the things that stands out is she says, maybe you're not a good guy pretending to be a bad guy. Maybe you're a bad guy pretending to be a good guy. And he goes, maybe. And I think that moment for me is really impactful because it not only begins Brian's awareness of the fact that he is lost and he's trying to find his identity, and he is really ripped between these two worlds of being legit and being a criminal. Even when it comes to the race, as you mentioned, Dom, quote, cheated, and Brian's complaining about it, but two scenes later, he's doing the same thing. Like, he's using his legal power of the FBI to raid this guy and plant drugs on him, so that he can get into an illegal race. And it's hilarious, but it also speaks to the truth of the fact that when it comes to good and bad, this whole franchise really kind of muddies those waters. We have characters that we root for that we want to get behind because we're following them, but on paper, they're no better or worse than we are. I mean, these are criminals. In fact, you know, Dom's whole thing is that he's always on the run. And he doesn't want to run eventually. He wants to stop doing that. Well, Brian's the same way. He's just looking at it from the FBI side, from the police side. And that conversation with, with Mia, I think, allows him to recognize 
that he truly did love her and love Don and loved that, that crew. He just, he screwed up because things got muddy and it made me wonder if she forgave him too quickly after that. I think that was one of the things I struggled with was that that struggle wasn't as long in the course of the story where she was reluctant because I mean, he really did hurt her. I mean, at the end of that first movie, she was pissed and she was incredibly hurt and you could see it in her face at the diner that she feels the same way. So I, I struggled with that a little bit and wondering, did she, did she forgive him too, too quickly or should there have been more tension before that? It's a movie and movies have to move fast and furious. So I don't have any problem with the relationship fast forwarding. I used to be that way. I really did. I used to get real caught up, honestly, in things like those details because I really, I wanted to see it play out longer. But over the years of, of doing the podcast with you and watching so many movies, I think I've gotten to this place where I realize, look, this is a side story. This is a piece of who Brian is. This is not the main plot. And in order to move this along and progress it through a series without having the Brian and me a movie, we're going to have to take some shortcuts. Just like they, quote unquote, fall in love in the first film. I mean, if you look at just the scenes that they're together, no one in their right mind is going to be like, oh, cool. Yeah, these people are truly just in love based on those couple of scenes. Tim just some... does anything, Aaron. It can bring true love. I guess so. But like, there's some <laughs> cute moments, right? Yeah. But like, they're not like the biggest of the big, uh, the, the big. And so I think it's fine here. And I love that conversation. And I, I don't say this to correct you, but I actually view it a little bit differently because of the wording. So when that conversation happens, it was almost my connecting point. First of all, it starts off with a beautiful like move by Brian to go get her out of headquarters, which is awesome. The way he like sneaks her out um, by calling Snozniak or whatever away <laughs> and like sending him to somewhere else. But he says, I lied to you. I lied to Dom. I lied to everybody. That's what I do best. That's why the feds recruited me. And that stuck out to me because like, because of what you said, it is a realization for him in a sense that he's saying, yes, I know, like I can lie and I use it to my advantage. And I don't do so in order to hurt people, but I do so because I think it's the right thing to do. When I lie, I'm lying because I'm trying to protect someone or I'm trying to help someone. I mean, he is a good guy in the like, he is the good guy. He's working for the feds. He wants to be a cop. He wants to do quote unquote good. And then when she responds and she says, maybe you're the bad guy pretending to be the good guy. You ever think about that? He doesn't say maybe he says every day. So I find that a little different because I think he already has come to that. Really? I don't think he's coming to that realization. I think this is something that he has known ever since he met them, right? That, it goes back to his days with Tyrese. And, and I, I think that this is part of what is so cool about the storytelling in this whole series. We now understand his past some. We know that he had some bad stuff he did, right, with Tyrese running um, before he got into being a cop and before he became a Fed. And he's gone through this cycle of, you know, going good and kind of being on the outside and like skirting the law a little bit. 
And I love that he acknowledges straight up, right away, without hesitation, the conflict that is within him. And that is the beauty of the series and of his character is right there in that one line. And it's in this movie that maybe you're the bad guy pretending to be the good guy, you know, and it's it's beautiful. I don't know. I don't know why I think that, but it is, feels beautiful to me because it's like self-realization and accepting of who you are in a way that I don't think anybody, even Dom, could ever penetrate Brian in a way that is going to help him and make him acknowledge that other than Mia, which is yeah. what sells me on their relationship going forward. Now, to your point, Patrick. Do I think that the character of Mia is too fast to forgive the character of Brian? Duh. Like, she's dumb. Like, come on. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. It's stupid. Like, there's no way in heck that this character should forgive this man, especially, especially after what happens later. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, the dude messes up a lot and gets away with it. But I think... We love this series because of that, because it gives us more opportunities for redemption, frankly. The more you mess up, the more you make mistakes, the more you make up and then break up, you get to make up again. And we all want the makeup story, Patrick. And to get the makeup story, you got to have the breakup story first. Right, right. I think that speaks to both Mia and Brian as characters and how deeply they care about each other. And it's just fantastic acting on both their parts to be able to to carry this, because you're right. They're not the centerpiece of the movie, but they are a significant part. And I think Justin Lin saw something in that first entry that he said, I want to carry this further and let's get them back to a place where they can be together. They can be that team. They can be that couple that you want to root for. You want them to be together. And so it was speedy, but I am glad that they got back together. And so, cool. Way to go, Justin. Thank you for that. The action in this movie, I think, starts to elevate beyond the first few entries. It starts to push that wow factor that we have gotten so used to seeing. We're not in space and we're not coming up out of icebergs or anything like that yet. But we do see a lot more action. And... I wanted to ask, does it still feel grounded to you, even though we get a few kind of, uh, whoa, head shaking moments in the movie? Do you still feel like it's in that same formulaic grounded nature of, of street racing? Oh, God, yes. So I noticed early, I'm going to skip ahead sort of and call this out, but much like you had pointed out the facts was kind of this head scratching, come on, man moment in this movie. I noticed that you put the tunnel race in that section and I, part of me died because I love the tunnel race. Okay. The tunnel race. Oh, I do too. I do too. <laughs> I just, there's a lot about that that I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> no, come on. It's totally believable. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I think this movie skirts it fairly well, but. There is a progression and it's fun to watch. Frankly, it's cool to watch it go from just street racing to just jumping off onto a yacht to going through this tunnel to dragging a safe through the city to 
the endless infinite runway, you know, like, to, and it just gets bigger and bigger to submarines and, you know, Humvees on icebergs and things like it's, it's just gonna always get bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is the last entry that I think has some of that stuff. Man, fa- this and Fast Five are sort of equal, I think, in their ability. Man, I know, cause Fast Five has that, that shot where they go off the cliff. <laughs> and that ain't happening. I'm sorry. That's like, that's like thousands of, anyway, um, that's next week. But th- th- yes, I think that this is a great depiction of just grounded enough. Because, Patrick, literally, they are grounded. The tunnel is grounded. Is it insane to think that they could drive through this thing at the speeds that they're driving through with the quick changes in direction? Yeah, it couldn't happen. But it's sick. It's sick to watch kind of the Sicario-style version mixed with the Fast and the Furious world, where you've got an understanding and an acknowledgement of the fact that there are border patrols with all this tech and with helicopters that are actually watching. And again, you have Braga who's got this brilliant plan and they're hitting these marks and they're running off of very specific timers and these, you know, secret doors that open perfectly into the tunnel. And you've got to be right there at the right time at the right place, or you're going to crash and blow up. All of that stuff is very compelling to me. Um, But of course the other part being, the other race, I love the race, and you already talked about it, but I, I love it. I mean, I think with the GPSs and the way that we follow Brian's GPS and he's having to constantly change direction and go through traffic, and we get that great part where he's parallel to the other guys and he's up above them on the ledge and then has to go down the ramp to get to them so he doesn't crash. Like all, I think it is. It's definitely grounded action, and I love it. You know, even the fuel tanker. It's just on the edge of believable because you think to yourself, what would happen if a big truck on a mountain that was this steep rolled over? Well, would the tank catch on fire and start rolling down the hill? Probably. So like, I mean, all we're doing is driving a car underneath it at the right time, you know? And so those things are believable enough that I think it allows me to not feel like it's taking place in some fake world. Absolutely. And I think it's fitting for this entry. Like, I don't think that the action supersedes what's happening. I feel like everything that's happening in between the action supports the level of believability that exists in this movie. And I, and I think that for most of the movies going forward, I think that, the level of action is appropriate to the level of stakes and the level of like high octane entertainment. I love that whole sequence with the tunnels. I think it's fantastic. I think it's just entirely like, what? No, that's not happening. But I love it, and I'm okay with that. And there are other come on moments. You mentioned the fax machine in 2009. And the, <laughs> the truth is, yeah, if you get a digital printout of that thing, yeah, you're not going to get that slow burn of like, oh my gosh, it's Braga! You know, it's it's a funny, tense moment. The other thing is what I wish would become a TV series, which I would call CSI Toretto. That whole bit where he is looking at the, at the crash site and he's able to figure out. I think it's a well-shot sequence, but I'm not looking at Dominic Toretto as being the guy that figures out all this stuff and how it's happening. 
still a lot of fun to watch, but not happening. <laughs> I love that you call it CSI Toretto because that cracks me up. It's hilarious way to put it. It, it, it is. It's like I called him, you know, Dominique Holmes. It's Sherlock Holmes. It's CSI. It's awesome. And it's so freaking out of place and out of nowhere and completely ridiculous and not ever replicated in the series anywhere. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, it makes me grin because he's still uniquely for his character figuring things out. There's only one kind of nitrous that runs this in the entire city of Los Angeles. <laughs> and I know this because I've been hiding out for five years in Mexico. <laughs> And you know what I mean? And he goes right to the guy and like, it's so dumb. I mean, you, it doesn't hold up to the lens of, is this believable in any stretch of the imagination, but it is a cool way to show us what happened with Letty to watch it in this flashback mode with Dom's eyes in his memory. And it's unique. I think it's cool from a storytelling perspective because most movies, we would have one character or someone in the movie figure out what happened, and then they would then have to explain that to Dom, right? But here, it's kind of condensed those two pieces into one via this CSI moment. Uh, but it, it, it's memorable. That's all I'm going to say, is it's freaking memorable. I was just waiting for him to put glasses on and for like the <laughs> to go, wow! Oh, do, oh. do, 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 oh, get fooled again. <laughs> All right, with that, we are now officially into connecting point time. And Aaron, if you don't mind, I'd like to go first, uh, mainly because mine comes before yours. It's a good reason. <laughs> yeah, just keep it chronological. For me, and this really came on the heels of that diner scene, so you could call them a dual connecting point, but really it's this scene that I'm about to talk about that put it over the top, and it's the reunion dinner with Dom and Mia and Brian. It's just after Dom's been, I think, stabbed or shot, and Brian takes him to Mia's, and she gets him patched up, and they're sitting down to dinner, and of course, Dom reaches for some food, and she's like, whoa, what are you doing? We got to say grace, and we're immediately called back to that that picnic scene, that cookout scene, where this is a part of what it means to be family, and it's the three of them, and in that moment, Aaron, we see, I think... A moment of contentment where they are celebrating just being together and enjoying the food and enjoying the company of being able to just pause. Again, I think Justin Lin makes these moments work, these these quiet moments in the midst of all this action. And when they are able to sit there and we're able to enjoy that with them, it really is impactful. And then a short time later, Dom leaves and we're left with Mia and Brian. And this is their redemptive moment. This is their restoration where he tells her, he says, look, I want to be this guy. I want to be a person that knows who he is, essentially. And I think for her, that was enough for her to believe in him and to say, okay, then we're good. I don't remember specifically if we got... A kiss, I don't believe we did, but I don't think that was even necessary. I think what we needed to get was resolution, not boyfriend and girlfriend status again, but a place where they could both come to terms with the fact that 
this happened and it was done with good intentions in mind, but it was just executed in a way that hurt a lot of people. And I think for Brian, it was his way of finding that redemption. I think for her, it was her way of getting closure. And I think it helps set up what that trio and then eventually with, with Letty, what that glue is going to look like as it kind of brings the rest of this crew together. So for me, that whole sequence was great. Uh, and it was my connecting point. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And it's definitely the most connecting point moment of the film. So I, you, I guess, get the gold star for picking the right one in a sense, the, because I would, I would actually winner. agree with you. <laughs> um, mine is a little more, I think, in a weird way. It's personal for me and just how it affects the entire series. But I mean, from a like single scene, emotional wallop moment, like that's it. And, and I love it. I love Brian just flailing on the floor maniacally, like out of control, upset, you know, screaming, she did it for you, Dom, you know, like he's so upset. I, I just, I think it's great acting because he is selling us on the fact that like, he's like so frustrated, Patrick, he's like slamming his fists into the ground, like. I can't win, you know, like I'm trying to do the right thing. We're trying, I'm working with Letty to try and bring Dom back because I want to do the right. I can never get it right is what it feels like. He's yelling and screaming and like, why can't it ever work out? You know, he wants so badly for this relationship with these two to be healed and it just keeps getting broken. And I, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, mine is the ending. And I'm saying the ending because I'm going to talk about a lot of stuff here and it's so it's broad. Whatever. I don't care. It's our show. I can do what I want. The I'm going to start with the handoff to Braga because of the way that things get the dialogue pieces that happen that lead to the eventual ending. Brian and Dom are standing down there with the money waiting on Braga to show up. And Brian casually says, the good news is. You walk out of here and your name's clear, Dom. And Dom's like, is that what they told you? With that smirk on his face. And Brian's like, that's the deal. And Dom goes, do you still put milk and cookies out for Santa? Casual, funny, adorable, absolutely perfect character moments. Because Dom knows the reality Brian is still the idealist who wants to believe in the system and that it can work and that he can save Dom via the right way, right? And it's fascinating that we're talking about this because it really can speak to the idea of how policing works and and what the justice system is like. And so Brian thinks, Brian believes in it is what it comes down to. And Dom is like, come on, bud, you got to know better than that. This fast forwards us to the next moment. Brian gets taken off the case because they botch everything. Braga is now in Mexico and out of their jurisdiction. Brian says, I thought we signed on to do the right thing. And it's building, it's building. We see Dom at Letty's gravesite. And we know what's going to happen, Patrick. We're very aware. We're smart enough to know. Brian comes up and he says, I'm going with you. And Dom just says... I don't plan on bringing anyone back. And Brian says, I know. And this is a reoccurring moment that we hear in dialogue through them. Not these exact words, but over the course of the series. This is, 
a matter of trust, a matter a recognition of their relationship. It's like the equivalent of a big bro hug between guys who don't do big bro hugs in a way. And so it's really meaningful to me. It also leads to a Brian and me a kiss because in my notes, I wrote down, yes, yes, yes. This is how it's supposed to be because that's what I want. Right. And Giselle, Giselle shows up to help him go after Braga and it brings in that team element that we're so used to or we're going to get so used to in the future. And then we get to the ending ending of this whole thing. And, I, and it's important because I think that this all is such great building to it. And they go through this tunnel run. They get out. Braga's there. Phoenix coming. And I think that it's such a great callback to the first film, which we've seen already happen multiple times. Lynn has clearly got some homage going on here. And there's all these helicopters closing in and cars coming. And Brian says to Dom, you better get out of here. And Dom's like, I'm not running anymore. And we're like, I mean, A, he's in the middle of the desert, so that's probably smart. But B, Brian's like, you know, I would have beat you. And, and this is amazing, Patrick, because there's no more recognition. They don't talk about it. They don't get into this huge dialogue or conversation about, well, why aren't you going to run, Dom? What are you going to do? That's not smart. It's an instantaneous understanding. They're on the same page. They're on the same wavelength, man. And it's it's... It's beautiful to me in this friendship. And he just transits and he says, you know, I would have beat you. And Dom's like, you hit your head hard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is, this is just a beautiful thing, right? It's so sweet. And of course, Brian, the idealist, you mentioned this earlier. We roll into this courtroom scene and the judge does what judges do. And he sentences Dom to 25 to life without early patrol. And Brian's pissed and he rolls out and we get... This amazing, amazing ending moment, Patrick. And when a movie can leave me on the kind of high that this movie left me on, it's special. We watch Dom on this bus being taken to prison. And before you even see this movie for the first time, if, you, if you're not rewatching it, if you're just in your first viewing, there's no way you don't immediately know what's going to happen. That, to me, again, is expert storytelling, because we have been with these characters, we have built our relationship with them and watched them enough to know Brian's coming into that frame in about five seconds. There's no question. Not not a question at all about it. And sure enough, here he comes. He's driving Dom's charger, or a charger. He's got the necklace that is becoming so iconic that's hanging on the mirror for Dom because he's going to return it to him. And there is this look on everybody's face because we get the pan shot where we get Brian's face of determination. We get Mia's face and we get the crew. And like, it, dude, it's like a chef's kiss thing for me. And, and you get this quick shot of Dom kind of like looking over to the side and noticing what's going down. And it is fan-freaking-tastic. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It makes me happy. It's like, at that point, I am with Brian, right? And what is interesting, you brought this up earlier, the thing I texted you about. Brian's path through this series, FNF1, he's a cop. FNF2, not a cop. FNF4, back to being a cop. FNF5, because of this, not a cop. 
He's always been doing this battle, right? And this is it. It's like this is the make up your mind moment. Because at the end of FNF1, when he lets Dom go, to me, there's still question marks. Like, he's not a criminal at that point, right? He's making a choice that is going to be criticized and obviously can get him to lose his job. But there's, there's a, there's a level there, I guess. This is different. <laughs> when you are prison breaking someone out of a bus, like, it is a little bit of a different thing now. And he has fully committed in this moment. And for us to be left with that, it just, it makes my heart full. And I'm like cheering for a guy who's about to do a prison break. And in a way, like I could not be happier for anybody in my life. And I think that that is amazing. And I love that I leave the movie with that feeling. It is such a great bookend to the beginning of the movie because it starts and ends on the road. And it starts and ends with this new crew that I've got to believe Justin Lin was saying, are you guys ready for this? I, you better be because we're about to get into it. Like I think Fast Five was like in his head before he even finished Fast Four, and so good on him. I'm grateful that he did it, and I'm excited to keep going with this. <laughs> well, that wraps up another episode here at Feelin Film. Later this week, look for our June donor pick to drop, courtesy of our fine patrons. This month we are going back to 1996, covering the action adventure The Rock. And we'll also have some fun bonus content where we discuss our highlights and hopefuls of 2020 thus far, which will be an interesting conversation considering the year we've had. If you want more information on how you can get access to that and more cool Patreon stuff, check out patreon.com slash film for more. And following that a few days later, we of course will jump right back into the Furious Universe as we talk about arguably the best of the series, Fast Five. I think that would be a safe bet. Don't you, Aaron? <laughs> I got jokes. I'm a dad. I got jokes. It's a good one. Uh, yes. <laughs> Both the movie and the joke, hopefully. Well, if you haven't already, give our episode of The Games We Love a Listen, where Aaron and I gush about one of the best games in the last decade, The Last of Us. That is out now. That does it for us. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.